Previously on the Enneagram Journey. How's my hair? Strong. So strong. My hair could lift a car off a baby if it had to. Absolutely. Well, I like to hear. Education is our future. Farmers are this nation's backbone. Bankers, women, veterans, Filipino tilt-a-whirl operators are this nation's backbone. Salamat. Cam Brady will win his fifth term in Congress simply by signing the registration ballot. That's one of the perks of running unopposed. Let's get this bad boy signed. But I, I crave safe space. I just crave it. I mean, everywhere I go, everything I do is about being in a safe space and creating a safe space. Because I'm, I'm in this head so much that it sometimes drives me insane. Um, and I'll never forget when I first was introduced to the Enneagram and I grew up into the narrative uh, tradition and I'm sitting on a panel and there are other sixes there and they start talking and I'm saying, my God, I'm not crazy. These are my people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I felt like I was in heaven on earth. Yeah. No, 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 I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, no, 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 I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't, no, do not walk away from me. Do not. You are not. You're doing it. Nick. Yeah. He did it. Uh, and now he won't even talk to me because I saw him this morning and he just panicked moonwalked away from me. He what? He does that sometimes. Man, terrorism. And then, huh, Nick just. Welcome back, everyone, to the Enneagram Journey podcast with the Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. My name is Joel, and today's guests are Corey and Shannon Martin, Enneagram 6 and 8, respectively. This is the first half of a two-parter with Corey and Shannon. Suzanne comes out the gate with the high heat, early asking if theology informs your politics or do politics inform your theology? Can you legislate justice? Why the Enneagram has been helpful in their relationship And let's talk about timing, flexibility, and more, including some adoption talk. Speaking of adoption talk, the joy and the complexity of fostering and adoption. A weekend of teaching with Suzanne Stabile is coming up in March. She's going to be weaving in the Enneagram with expectations, trauma, parenting, and so much more. Registration for this event includes the teaching on February 24th and 25th, Change, 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 with the Reverend and Suzanne. They are going to address the inevitability tough word for me inevitability of change the godmother is going to teach how enneagram number influence responses to change reverend's going to speak to the roles of spiritual practices and accepting change and the two of them together will offer some possible solutions for dealing with change in healthy ways register today for change 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 or register for both when you sign up for the joy and complexity of fostering and adoption don't forget too that our friends at sparrow house counseling in dallas has teamed up with LTM to offer continuing education credits for the March Fostering and Adoption event. You're going to visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com for all the important information. One more time, February 24th and 25th, that's going to be the Teaching on Change. And Fostering and Adoption, that's going to be March 9th through the 11th. Both, you can sign up to be in person or virtually attend. And registration includes the replay of both events through the month of June. Life in the Trinity Ministry.com. It's where you want to go to sign up. And now let's hear from Suzanne, Shannon, and Corey. 
And remember to come back for the next episode of The Ingram Journey where we continue our conversation. Well, never mind. I don't want to ask you now. I'm going to ask you during the during the real thing. We're the real thing has begun. At some point, I will. <laughs> people have already heard this, so yeah. <laughs> Keep going. All right. Well, let me just tell you this then to the two of you. Uh, Joel always uh, is excited about our guests. He always sends me the info that you filled out, and I am so excited to meet you. I'm always happy. <laughs> when we have guests on, but you, the things that you are interested in and the things that you are giving yourselves to are things of my heart. And so uh, I'm, I'm thrilled and honored to be talking with you. And I'm very anxious to get to know you today and hopefully beyond today. That would be my Great. Well, we're excited. We've been listening for a long time, so it's a little surreal to actually be on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> it is. The, the feeling is more than mutual. So we're, we're very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having us on. We've never done this together. So I'm like trying to make eye contact with him through the camera. Give signals. <laughs> um, sure, I'll go first. Um, we live in Goshen, Indiana, so we're way up by the Michigan line. And place matters a lot to me and to us. It always feels like the right place to start. Um, Corey and I met in college. We're both from the Midwest. We've been married for, I don't know, 20, going on 24 years. Um, we have four kids in our family, a grown son who's out of the house nearby and three teenagers still in the, in the house with us. Um, our family was built entirely through adoption. So that's just kind of a, a unique little thing about our family. And we moved to this community about 10 years ago. And for us, it was like a, an earth shattering shift in almost every area of our life. You know, it didn't happen all at once, but it's, I, I very much see my life through the lens of before we lived here. And since we've lived here, it's a real defining point for us mm -hmm. as a family and for me as a person. Um, and so, yeah, I, when we moved into this community, I like to say, you know, I'm a writer, I'm an author. So I found my voice in the country. We used to live out in the country, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but I found my story in the city. And so once we moved into this neighborhood, I, I started to kind of fit those pieces together about, you know, what it was that I wanted to write about and started um, into that publishing journey. And I write mostly about community and, and living as neighbors. That's been kind of the through line of my work because our neighbors and our neighborhood just changed our lives. Um, so I do that work. And then I also work as a cook in our community kitchen. I work there two days a week, every Monday and every Thursday. I've been there for about four years. Um, yeah, that's me. Okay, Corey, you better hurry, man, because I, I already have 104 <laughs> questions. Well, I, so I, so she covered a lot about us. Uh, I, we both graduated from a small Christian college close to where we live here. And I majored in theology. And right out of college, uh, we both, I mean, it was my fault. We both got sidetracked and stuck in politics for about 10 or 15 years. 
And so we were out in DC for a while, moved back to this area, still working in politics. Um, but I, I moved on from there to working for a, a, a local alternative high school, faith-based alternative high school, uh, which is where we met our oldest son. He was a student at that high school. Um, and it was through him, uh, his subsequent incarceration, uh, that we started visiting him here at the Elkhart County Jail. And uh, through visiting him, uh, me feeling like it was time for me to move on from the high school I was working at, and the chaplain who had been here for about 28 years retired. Those three things all happened at the same time. And so that's what kind of led me here to the jail. I had, I had no experience in jail ministry prior. I didn't even know there was a, a jail ministry at the jail. Um, maybe a month before I applied, it was this, uh, that's when I knew there was a jail ministry. But Shannon, Shannon saw that the chaplain had retired and she saw that there was an opening here at the jail and she knew I was unhappy at my current job. So she kept trying to push me to apply. And I kept putting it off thinking I have no qualifications. Um, even though I wasn't really satisfied where I was, I was comfortable there. I didn't really want to move on and take the risk of something I, I didn't know. So just to, to get Shannon to stop bugging me about submitting my application, my resume, I did. And that was in 10 years ago, and I'm still here. Add a girl, Shannon. <laughs> it hasn't been said yet, but uh, let's go ahead and establish Shannon's an eight on the Enneagram. Corey's oh, yeah. a six. I think we can mm-hmm. see that in the story. Uh, yeah. Well, and eights are so insistent, aren't they? <laughs> I like that word. Yeah. I, I, I taught, I'm doing some basic teaching again. You know, there's so much trendy Enneagram. I'm kind of backing up and saying, here's the big story. And I'm so glad you love the little story. And here's the big story. And um, I, I said I, something I've said for a long time. I just hadn't said it in a long time. This last weekend, I said, you know, when eights tell you to have a good day, you feel like you have to, right? <laughs> it's just the way they say it. It's like, oh, have a good day. <laughs> okay, okay, then I sure will. And I'll become a chaplain at the jail and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll do things, right? I, I knew, I mean, that's, you know, I, I think all of that predates our awareness of the Enneagram, but I can look back now on that and on on other things throughout our life. And I just knew it's that gut, that gut feeling. I just knew this is the right thing for him. I knew he would be good at it. And that was hard to, you know, to kind of bring him on board with that, but I just knew. And and that's the, those are the, the times that it, it can be hard to articulate, like, just trust me. <laughs> right. Right. But you, you knew there was no reason for you to know that there's no logical reason for you to know that. And so I couldn't make sense nothing was adding up in my mind as to why you thought this would be a good fit. Yeah. He was, he was telling, he was like passing on the job listing to other friends that he had. And I was like, this is, that was not the plan here. Like you need to stick to the plan. Stop doing that, man. (laughs) Well, your latest podcast with your question and answers for January, you actually had an eight and a six. You led the podcast with, there was a question about relationships and eights and sixes. And so that example that we just gave is a really good example there, and a big difference between me and Shannon. Shannon can walk into any situation, analyze it instantly, know what she thinks about it instantly, and articulate it very well instantly. And I do none of those things instantly. <laughs> so it took me a long time to get to where she was 
regarding this, I mean, regarding a lot of things, but this job specifically. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most important things uh, in relationships with aggressive numbers with three, sevens, and eights is they think faster than the rest of us do. And that's literally true. And so um, if we don't ask them to wait, or if we don't insist that we get some space to catch up, then uh, it worked out well this time. But lots of times we say yes to aggressive numbers uh, about things that are not ours to do. And it's because we don't think fast enough to, to say no. And then we don't have enough energy to stand on no. Yeah. From my perspective also, uh, and my place in the world as a Christian, it sounds to me like Shannon was just a messenger so that you could hear what God was mm-hmm. saying. Why don't you do this? And I, um, isn't it interesting how often those things are illogical and they don't make any sense? And the nothing adds up to use your language. And the only thing we know to do is, uh, okay, I'll, tr- <laughs> I'll try, right? Yeah. Before we go any further, there are a couple of things that I want to ask you about. One is uh, in adopting the children, were any of them siblings? No, not biological. Nope. They, okay. all, they all came from, um, you know, kind of different places, different backgrounds. Our, our two younger boys were both born in South Korea, but they're, you know, different areas, different stories. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, well, you know, adoption's just a, a piece of who I am mm-hmm. actually. And um, our March event is going to be about the Enneagram and fostering and adopting. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in it knee deep right now. Yeah. I can't wait. Uh, me either. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing I, I want to talk about for a minute, uh, Corey, is you said we got sidetracked uh, by politics or in politics. I can't remember which one you said. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I'd i like to hear a little more about that. And then I have a question. That maybe derailed is a better word. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Why? Well, and I was in, I was studying theology at this college and had really no interest in politics. Wasn't really, I wasn't raised in a political family. I never remember my parents talking about politics. Um, but uh, there was a, a guy running for Congress while we were at Bethel, and I ended up volunteering on his campaign. Mm-hmm. Well, he ended up winning that seat, and I really, I studied theology because I enjoyed it. It was kind of a hobby. I I didn't really want to be a pastor or a youth pastor. I had no idea what I was going to do with this. And so I think part of what led me down the road of politics was it was the path of least resistance and the opportunity was there. I was kind of interested. And so I did it. And then I, I got more and more. I mean, the, the more you're in it, the longer you're in it, the more you get sucked in. Um, it gets it gets harder in some ways to walk away. I mean, that that became part of it. It offered, um, I don't know. You know, good insurance, things like that, that made it, that made it difficult. But I think I was probably, I mean, for somebody like myself who doesn't like uncertainty and and likes predictability, working for United States congressman is a terrible job to have because they're up for election every two years. Mm -hmm. And the congressional district I worked in was in the top three competitive races in the country for the years that I worked in it. Mm. And so, you know, every every two years, you have no idea if your boss is going to win or lose. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't an, 
it wasn't a great, you know, looking back, there's some nice, good experiences we had from that. We learned some things. Um, but I also think I was probably pretty unhealthy for the however many years we worked. I mean, I was totally, even when things were going well, I just knew in two years, this could all be over. Right. Yeah. Lots of anxiety. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have two questions for both of you related to that and you can answer them together or separately. And the first is, do you think your theology informed your politics or do you think politics informed your theology? And the second is, do you think you can legislate justice? Oh, we're just going right into it. I love this. (laughs) Corey, do you want to tackle that first? I think at that time, my theology and politics were indistinguishable from each other. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I really would have made a distinction that one informed the other. Um, Growing up, if you were a Christian, you were just, you were a part of this certain party. And if you were part of this certain party, you were probably a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so one of the hardest things I think for us was to try to, to disentangle and separate uh, those two things. Even, you know, even though my parents weren't overly political, my, our whole community, you know, we were we raised in a very, you know, a, a small community. Everybody's very similar to each other. Most people believe the same things. It was a nice, small, tight-knit community. Um, and so I, I had just never been exposed to Christians who might believe something different than what my community believed politically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that one informed the other necessarily. I just think, in my mind, growing up, they were almost one and the same. You know, Joe was uh, with the Vincentian Fathers until he was 40. And their uh, two years of novitiate in their college was in Perryville, Missouri, which was a small town in the Midwest in Missouri. And um, every election season, they would be reporting, reporting who was winning, who was winning. And it was always the candidate from one party. And then they would announce literally um, the Vincentians, the brothers and the priests and the students are on their way in to vote the tally will change dramatically Mm. when they leave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And they were like a community that voted different from the community in general, right? And I too grew up in a small farming and ranching community. And for lots of reasons that had to do with farming and ranching, um, there was a big voting block that voted for one party as opposed to the other because of what the people who lived on the land did because of place, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, Shannon. Theology informed politics or the other way around? Yeah. I mean, I would say most of my my growing up experience was pretty similar to Corey's, though we didn't grow up near each other. We had very similar upbringings. My family was a little more overtly political, especially, you know, later in my teen years, or that's, you know, when I remember it. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, Corey, Corey described his community of origin as not being overtly political, but I think there was like some assumed politics that was just in the air. And I would say the same for myself. Um, And so that was, that was, you know, I agree with Corey. I don't think I could have even separated the two. It was just Mm -hmm. a given. It was assumed. And I went with that. I, you know, where Corey was a little more, even when he was working for, you know, these two different congressmen and, and he was feeling that roller coaster and that anxiety. 
my personality was a little more taken by the excitement of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, you know, you just never know what's going to happen, all those things. But that's one of the, that, that was, you know, when his career path shifted, we were right on the cusp. This would have been when we lived in the farmhouse. We had some like internal rearranging of our, you know, emotional and theological furniture was happening. Like things were shifting inside us in ways we didn't even quite understand. Um, and I think what was really happening was we were starting to to try to kind of justify our theology against our politics. And it wasn't really working for us there you go. anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, soon after that, you know, he, he got out of politics, we moved to a new community. Our, our politics in many ways has flipped since then. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the lens, you know, I try to, I, I talk about politics a good bit just in my work and on my social media and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in it and I think mm-hmm. it matters. Um, because I'm interested in that justice conversation, you can't separate those two things in my opinion. Um, but, but I try to live by that lens now of, I want, I want to be cognizant. I want my faith to be informing my political Mm -hmm. decisions. Whereas Mm -hmm. in the past, that thought would not have even occurred to me, honestly, other than just a kind of a surface level, you know, kind of check that box, everything's cool. But when you start, when we started to really dig deeper into ourselves and understand that we were going to be upsetting some people, we were going to be disappointing some really important people in our lives by, by these changes that we were coming into. It's, you know, we were in our mid thirties at that point. And I remember thinking, oh, we are actual adults now. Like for Mm -hmm. the first time, maybe we had kids at that point, but I remember being like, wow, we're doing some stuff that, you know, maybe even our parents at that time didn't agree with. And that felt like a really big deal. Yep. Yep. Joe and I married when he was 40 and I was 37. And I remember kind of feeling the same way, like, okay, these are my decisions and they're big ones. Yeah. And they make a difference. Okay. Before we move on, can you legislate justice? I'm going to say yes. If we're doing like a simple thumbs up, thumbs down, (laughs) I think it's, it's certainly a nuanced thing. And I don't ever want to, I don't want to land back where I used to be, where, you know, we just make these broad assumptions. I think um, issues are distinct and they, they warrant a lot of thoughtfulness and digging deeper. I mean, that's the thing I'm saying all the time. We have to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. We have to dig beneath the surface on some of this. So I guess I don't know that, you know, I'd have to think about this for a while. I, I don't know that, you know, in every vein, justice can be legislated, but I do, I do absolutely think broadly speaking, it can, and it is. Right. Right. We have been thinking about this a lot, staff, board members, assistant chaplains of the jail ministry. You, you, you can, and we do legislate behavior. Um, but, you know, I, we interact and we're friends with people here who are incarcerated here at the Elkhart County Jail. And there are laws that absolutely, I think, need to be changed. They're, they're harming people. Uh, they're not... They're not, um, they're not serving the intended purpose. Mm-hmm. And we can change those, those laws. Um, but some people, there's just so much trauma, uh, so much past addiction. Mm-hmm. 
maybe sometimes there's mental illness. Um, it takes more than just that. I think sometimes yeah. you think, oh, if we just change the law, then things will get made better. Right. I don't actually have to interact with people. So yeah. I think what happens on both sides of the aisle sometimes, Republicans and Democrats are legislating uh, to help have the best way they think they can help, you know, the poor, single moms or whatever. And sometimes we're legislating for people that we don't really know personally. We don't, we can't name. Right. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Gustavo Gutierrez who once said, so you say you love the poor, name them. Yep. And so we can say that we're doing all this work for people, but sometimes if we don't know them, we don't find personal stories or relationships with them, our best intentions can actually be harmful. So yes, I think we can legislate stuff. Um, but I think there's the equally important part is we also have, we also have, have to have a church who's willing to be involved, not to try to fix people or to save people, but just to be involved in people's lives and have, so I think we have just as much to learn from the men and women who are incarcerated here at the jail as they have to learn from us about for God, sure. his forgiveness and mercy and goodness. For sure. For sure. And outside of relationship, I'm not sure how much we learn anyway. That's what right. you us. When we were in politics, you could not have argued us out of our positions. Right. Then we got to know some people and we thought, oh, some these things that we used to think don't work as well as we thought they should. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I, I don't think it's a head trip or a heart trip or a gut trip. I think it's it comes with balance and and people with boots on the ground, like both of you talking about these things are answering from all three, probably not intentionally, but all three uh, centers of intelligence are represented in the wisdom that you're carrying now about these things. It's an interesting conversation because it's something that, you know, there are a, a whole, Corey and I are a good team and there are a whole lot of things as you can imagine that we just see from different perspectives sure. and and Corey because he was involved in politics in a different way than I was but you know I would say part of of your question Suzanne is that legislation can can help or move us towards knocking down some unjust systems mm -hmm. and, and I think you know that's something you know when people say well you know justice has to come through the changing of hearts. Yeah, that's true. But but these systems are still in place. Like that's where I feel like there is a little bit of that balance. And I think Corey agrees with that. I think he sees some of the futility sometimes or he can sure. feel a little more jaded than I do. And he'll say to me sometimes in the past, maybe more than recently, but yeah, you, you legislate something and then a new group of people comes in and they, you know, they, they, take it away or they change it or you know it's just this constant it's a constant swirl legislation is a beginning point uh, if we can have that mindset i totally agree it's necessary there are things that need to change but we can't view that as okay we change this law now our work is done that's right yep yep agreed and you know Corey, uh to your uh defense over here in your non-aggressive thinking request place that is also part of me um, I would say that AIDS I, believe that they can shape the world according to their image of how it could, should be. And thank goodness they do, because that puts impetus behind the things that the rest of us want to do. Mm -hmm. 
but it leaves us without that much sure uh, surety. I don't think that's a word. Optimism, I don't want to use. Uh, conviction. It leaves us without that much conviction that if we do these 12 things, this is going to be what the world's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And vision uh, is different for twos and sixes. And uh, we're not, by nature, big picture thinkers. A question I have that I've kind of heard in different ways, uh, both your personalities come out, is when, Shannon, you know, you've got all that gut and... Uh, Corey, you've got all the headspace, and how do y'all make that work? Suzanne said earlier, you've got the the job at the jail, and that one worked out. But then there's so many times, like the question, that's not the from the previous podcast, that wasn't just like a one-off question we get about six and eight, but y'all yeah. are, not only do y'all make it work, y'all really make it work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my question is, how? And what does that look <laughs> like? Well, Last night we had a circumstance where he didn't make it work very well. A, a circumstance. Is that what we're calling it? <laughs> I'm going to write down that word for Joe to use. <laughs> we are, we are trying to parent a young adult and three teenagers right now. And I'm telling you, I mean, just even the way you view parenting and, and the way we are, the way we process, I mean, we, we are, we are naturally a pretty, um, through a lot of our, almost all of our big changes in worldview or, you know, belief values, all those things, we've been really in lockstep and I'm forever grateful for that because I know that's not always the way that works. Um, but you know, these things pop up lately more as, as we're trying to parent through just the teen years and, and just, you know, we, we have those moments where we're, we just, you know, we're looking at each other face to face and we're both feeling like, who are you? <laughs> um, and, and that was last night a little bit. And I know, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, how do we make it work? I think honestly, the Enneagram has been maybe the most useful tool for us in, in beginning. And, and I feel like my understanding is not super deep. Um, but I'm very interested in it. And, and the little I do know, it helped me understand myself <laughs> in a way that I could be um, proud of, you know, the things that I always felt like were, were flaws in who I was, I suddenly had kind of a name for that and a place to put it. And I think Corey probably would say the same for him. And so just giving us that language yeah. has been really, really helpful. And we have 100,000 miles to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a it's just a journey every single day to try to hear each other better. You know, it's a, it's a struggle. Yeah. Well, last, last night I found myself saying that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Logical <laughs> sense. And you, and then, but and then you kept saying, you didn't, I know that you said this, what I kept hearing was, well, I don't care if it makes sense. Yeah. I do say that sometimes. Yeah, We just kept missing each other. My line used to be, do you know how many, things I've said that were right that didn't make sense <laughs> that's good there you go Shannon <laughs> that's a gift from me to you uh, for our next circumstance <laughs> that's right thanks, and, thanks a lot yeah well when Joe and I found ourselves in a circumstance regarding the children we learned somewhere along the way uh parenting our four to look at each other in a moment that could go either way you know where you could keep this up yeah or you could stop 
And our line, uh, our, essentially our way of saying uncle was to say, you know, the children are winning. We have to stop this. Right. <laughs> That's a good and word. Yeah. Well, as soon as we realigned ourselves with each other, mm-hmm. then we were able to, uh, you know, move beyond the circumstance. I think yeah. that's where we've seen growth, even in recent years, is just really understanding the value and trying to come together. And, and those were some of the conversations we were having last night was, you know, we want to be unified in some way. Um, and so we've got to, like, how do we get there? Like, that was the hard work of it. But there, there have been times for sure that we didn't even care about, you know, coming together in a solution. It was just, you know butting heads and, you know, me being aggressive and Corey withdrawing and, you know, all the right. things that happen, but to be able to say, I mean, you know, we went to bed last night, we're kind of night owls. We go to bed late. And I remember just going into bed last night and just knowing that that big, big medium, big thing happened. Yeah. And, and we are okay. Like yeah. we're okay. We talked through it. I mean, I just see us getting healthier in some of those ways and it's, awesome. It's just really, I'm grateful. Yeah. I, th- I thought Enneagram was kind of like legislation. It's a good start. It, it, it's mm-hmm. knowing our numbers is helpful, but knowing our numbers didn't fix everything. Right. So it provided us a starting point to then analyze and work through stuff. And we didn't have that starting point before. And so it yeah. felt like we were never, we never even started. We weren't able to even start working on things. Right. Well, and two things I would say about that. And one is that, you know, somehow talking about numbers depersonalizes what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just different than using a name or a you do this or that. It, yeah. It's really lovely in that sense. Yeah. I think that's part of its mystical nature, maybe. Mm-hmm. One of the little tricks I'll hand you that I've been using for, I don't know, three or four years now. Uh, Laura Addis, who works with us, but lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and her husband, um, decided that they would get a pet but the process was that her husband Tate wanted a pig (laughs) like a pet pig that lives in the house pig and his name is Virgil and he does now by the way (laughs) and Laura was opposed to it opposed to it opposed to it we'd talk about it when we were somewhere on the road and she was just oh I don't want to do this and She insisted that he go work at the pig farm as a volunteer to make sure that he really wanted that. All the things happened. And then all of a sudden they were getting a pig. And I said, well, how'd you get here? And she said, he wants a pig more than I don't want one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And I've used that language so many times in my head in a disagreement or a circumstance with Joe thinking, you want this more than I don't want it. Yeah. Or I want this equally, right? And it's been very helpful to me. Yeah. Very, very helpful. That's good. I mean, I, I know, I know last night, I, I know my tendency now. I think I've probably known it for a while, but my tendency to just bully my way, like to just yeah. persist and persist. And I could feel that happening last night. And I, I believed what I was advocating for. Sure. But I also saw Corey just kind of like moonwalking out of the room, yeah. <laughs> as they say. And, and there was part of me that felt like if I was being honest, like I could chalk this up as a, as a win, yeah. but I, but I, what I'm learning is that it's not winning. <laughs> it's not winning 
when that happens. And when Corey just kind of throws up his hands because he's tired of the fight with me. And, you know, that, that's a really, um, that's a shallow win. And so I think that's where I felt proud of both of us for, for just kind of, you know, we were tired. We wanted to be reading our books, but to just hang in there with each other a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Do y'all know Snap? I don't think so. Snap uh, is, uh, we wrote about that in the study guide to the road back to you. Okay. Um, and it's probably, is snap on the table, Joel, anywhere? Have we taught that on the table or no? Written down, it's in the study guide of the road back to you. Yeah, study guide. And it's stop, notice, ask, pivot. And Shannon, when you said moonwalking back, and, and, you know, the notice is how's the other person responding to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we get caught in that stuff in relationships about parenting or about things we feel strongly about, we tend, to not stop. We just keep going. Yeah. And we tend to not notice what's happening. But the bigger one is, and that's ask. And the ask is, is the story I'm telling myself right now the truth? Yeah. And then the question that follows that is, is it really true? Because we always say yes first. Right. And then there's the option of pivoting. Mm -hmm. So you said, this person wants it more than I don't want it. I've said this to Shannon recently we've had this discussion i feel like shannon feels everything very intensely yep and what i would some things i'm like i just don't even i would say some small things she just feels it all very intensely sure and has big opinions about it yeah so if it was does she want this more than i don't want it that's when i feel like i'm i'm moonwalking out of the room (laughs) because she always feels things so much more intensely than I do yeah yeah that's when you're just secure in nine space and you just say meh right okay I don't care where we go to dinner I don't yeah yeah Uh, yeah that's that's good insight and you got to stand up to her when it matters a lot Mm -hmm. yeah kind of have to buck up and right and go to the table Mm -hmm. a big part of it also that I, that I'm hearing and I'll give an example maybe too, is the flexibility of timing. You know, if you take the example of the pig, if you take the example of the job, there's someone who there, you got a three in the pig example. It's like, we're not getting a pig right now. Like we're, we're not getting a pig. You got the job. <laughs> you should take this job, fill out, you know, send in the resume, do the job. Mm-hmm. And without timing of flexibility, then it, it'll never work if it's, you know, it'll always be a, a knockout or a submission from some person yeah. and, you know, and a shallow win from the other one. If there's not flexibility and timing, have y'all seen the new Netflix movie? Um, you people yet? No. Okay. Check it out. It's, it's good. Uh, I like it. I was not, it was not what I was expecting, but then at the end, there's this thing that happens and it's all happy and joyous and uh, I don't want to ruin the end. And I looked at Whitney. I was like, that is that, that part of the movie was the most fictitious part of the movie. I was like, if, if you did this thing and then it's just like fixed in a moment, I need time. I'm going to be really, I'm still going to be upset for a while. Even if I'm moving on, I'm going to need some time to recover from that. And that's one of the things that we've had to, she as a one and me as a seven had to work about in our relationship is 
the timing of things, of yeah. being okay with something, of the timing of making a decision, just being very flexible with our thinking, feeling, and doing around time. Tools, Debeal, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I've never heard you talk about flexibility. Are you giving yourself some flexibility? <laughs> I've never heard you use the language flexibility of timing, and that's just exquisite. Uh, speaking of everything that was just said, um, one of the things that I'm, Shannon, I, I think you're the one who said it, maybe. Um, this These days, I say very little about adoption publicly. Um, I get that but I'm in a position where I need to say a lot of things about adoption Mm -hmm. publicly. Mm -hmm. And so I want to, I don't want to make assumptions about what you're saying there Mm -hmm. in the work you filled out for us or about what that means. But I do want to ask if this fits. Because of what you wrote and my thinking about it, for the last 36 hours. I decided early this morning um, that I'm going to start using uh, the language in my discussion and teaching about fostering and adoption, uh, fairy tale adoption. Mm -hmm. Our youngest son is gay and married, and they are adopting out of the foster system. And... um, I would say that my adoption until I was 50 in the story, until I was 50 years old, is pretty much a fairy tale, but it's unusual. And I know that. And I think in, we've done a terrible disservice to the children, to the parents, by acting like this is going to be the most wonderful thing. It's, it's going to complete your life, child or parent. It's going to make everything so great. You're doing this thing for God, and yeah. God's going to reward you and bless you and all your efforts. All of that, all of that mm-hmm. is just not true. Mm-hmm. And I might add, it's equally not true in having children that are biological children. Mm-hmm. I have no idea where the divide happened, where we just stopped talking in circles where there's fostering and adoption about the challenges of biological children, right? And it it is a very messy subject that I think is surrounded by inaccuracy and promises that are irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And I just said some very strong things. Mm And I would love to hear the two of you respond and feel free to say, no, that's not what I meant at all. And you're just wrong. No, I I wrote that on the paperwork because, you know, I knew it was, uh, I knew you would be a, a place I was comfortable, more comfortable than normal having the conversation. So I kind of brought it up, you know, but with a little bit of boundary, maybe, you know, that I do feel. I, I said too much when my kids were little 
<laughs> and that's a that's a common refrain, you know, for somebody who has a, a bit of a public life or a public following. Um, I have some regrets around that. And I've just, you know, especially as these kids keep they're, they're getting older, um, that changes the dynamics a little bit. I've just I've just come to see what what you just shared, Suzanne, as uh, you know, when you said I that you have a lot to say about it. I'm very grateful for that because I, I, you know, I'm asked to talk about it. I'm asked sometimes to speak at adoption conferences and I almost always say no. It would take, I don't even know what it would take for me to say yes, because a lot of what I have seen is those um, unhelpful and, and damaging narratives perpetuated, you know, yep. perpetuated. Um, and I, or, or, you know, come and speak at our conference, your person people know, but there aren't, we're not representing the triad. You know, we're not hearing from birth moms. We're not hearing from adult adoptees. We're not hearing the hard parts or the, the true parts right. of adoption. My thing is I can't be the one to say those hard things right. publicly. That's right. not fair to my kids. That's not fair to our family. That's not fair to uh, birth parent, you know, all these things. Um, but man, they need to be said because I, you know, when you were, when you were going through your list of, of, of reasons, people come to this, this simplified idea about, around adoption, the one that popped into my head. And then you kind of said it was, you know, God would be so happy. Right. To do this. Right. And I think a lot of harm has been done through that, through that, um, impulse that was probably, you know, I think people's intentions are often so good. Sure. You know, we read these verses about caring for the orphan and, yeah. you know, maybe we, you know, all, all the things might line up, they might work. And so we, we make this just monstrous decision with a lifelong impact for everybody involved. Right. Right. And, and, you know, we're clinging to this idea that this is going to make God happy. I just, it's, it's just been, um, yeah, it's been, it's been harmful. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know, like it's, it's such a part of our life. I mean, I'll see what Corey has to say. I'm kind of rambling a little bit, but it's, these are the thoughts that are in my mind every day. Right. You know, I had right. a, this is just a real short little story, but just as, as how this inter intersected with my life this morning, my, my 14 year old out of the blue this morning said, we're learning about DNA and science. Mm. And as soon as he said that, I was like, oh no, but he was happy. He was smiling. He was telling me, you know, he learned something about his eyes. And I went over and hugged him. And I said, are, do you feel okay? Mm-hmm. Are you feeling okay? I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but are you okay learning mm-hmm. about this? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, my teacher keeps coming up beside me and quietly whispering to me, Silas, are you doing okay? Mm-hmm. Do you need anything? Do you need to like his teacher? Wow. That's fabulous. It's huge. Like I said, I got him out the door and sat down and wrote her an email immediately because those are the things that, that often get pushed to the sidelines. Like just a conversation about DNA in science class yep. in the eighth grade, like that can really be painful. It was and for me. It's just so layered. It's so layered. Yeah. My point is there are a lot of sides to this story. Mm-hmm. One speaker doesn't tell them. That's right. Because one speaker can't. It, I can't. would say if, if we're, if we're hearing 
um, just a rosy view of adoption. We yeah. are not hearing enough. We're not no. hearing enough of the story. We're not hearing enough voices. I mean, and, and for my family, my kids were all transracially adopted. That's right. a, that's another whole layer in there that we've, you know, we've just as a culture, as a country, whatever, we've done a, a, a big disservice in, in how we're addressing that. Um, are they all Korean? No, but our two younger boys are, Calvin is Korean. Silas was born in Korea, but he is half uh, Bengal. Yeah, Indian. Um, Ruby is biracial, born domestically. And then our big kid who just turned 29 is black and from the Midwest area. Wow. All of that. And then the last words are, and from the Midwest. That's fascinating. <laughs> okay, Corey, I know I got to talking and interrupted the whole train of thought. I'm so sorry. And uh, I hope we can okay. get back there for you. <laughs> uh, well, I, so Shannon told a story about Silas's teacher being very sensitive to this. I just recently um, became interested in doing stuff on Ancestry.com. Mm. And what I've learned through some of that is I'm still can be pretty obtuse and ignorant about how some of it never even, it didn't even cross my mind um, that of how this would affect the kids mm-hmm. until Shannon brought it up to me. She's like, you just might want to be sensitive when Calvin's peeking over your shoulder, how he's going to perceive all of this. So I feel like I've, we, I went into adoption completely ignorant, probably mm-hmm. thinking, all adoptions were fairy tale adoptions. I feel like I've come a long way, but I mean, this just happened a few weeks ago <laughs> and it's, it's kind of a, a shocking moment to me to think, Oh, I still, you know, our kids are 17, 16 and 14. And I'm still this obvious thing that should have been obvious. Didn't even cross my mind as I was <clears throat> working on this ancestry project. Well, and and um, um, as I get to know the two of you, I'm surmising that that's because you see yourselves as one whole entity and that difference is what surprises you, right? But it's a surprise about Ancestry. I, um, I too, went on Ancestry because I um, didn't know who my birth father was and thought I I would like to know that, found out, and ended up with some other questions that I haven't been able to get answered, and I'm probably going to drop it again. But but one of the things that, that happened to me in that process is I, Joe is Italian, and I don't know what my background is, and so I want to be Italian. Like, my whole thing is mm-hmm. I like Joe a lot, and I like Italian food, and I like Italian things, so I want to be Italian. And I I thought for sure I was going to find out that I was maybe from Southern Italy a little bit. And I'm so disappointed. You know, I went in thinking I'm going to get these things that make me happy. And I'm just sadder than I was before because I found out that, y'all, I am so white. (laughs) Like, I'm one of the whitest people on the planet. And I don't want to be. And there's not a thing I can do about that either. You know, it's a... I told her she didn't have to go to ancestry.com to figure that know out. how flat it was. Yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, that's funny. I've got Is a, it? <laughs> don't encourage him. <laughs> why 
do we, and I'll, I'll say we, because, you know, so if we're doing Suzanne's adopted, y'all did adopt. Mm-hmm. I've got my stuff with, like, biological father, and then we've got a mixed family with Whitney's son, Jace, from previous marriage, and all, you know, so mixed there with that. And I, same deal, where I was like, when I met him, I was like, I have a son now. This is going to be great. We had, I had two girls before, and then Whitney and I made a, another girl. So, oh my gosh, here, here it is. And of course, it's, it wasn't a fairy tale. And no relationship is ever a fairy tale. And why do y'all think it is that so many people go into this uh, adoptive relationship thinking it's going to be a fairy tale, like really and truly. I mean, I would say because at least within the Christian culture, it it, we're, we're being told God wants us to do this. And there's that natural leap that we make, you know, it's like the, the prosperity gospel of fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. (laughs) do this. And then your life will be blessed and everything will be easy. And, you know, and, and I just don't like, like you're saying, Joel, I don't know that that many, um, I don't have biological kids, but I imagine that most parenting relationships just feel pretty hard a lot of the time. Um, and we don't question that, but I think when we get this kind of twisted and we feel like, oh, this is something that God wants me to do. I'm going to do it. You know, I want to feel like a good Christian. I want to, you know, whatever we have this, we attach this, this extra expectation that that means it's going to be easy because I'm getting a little ramped up. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm coming with you (laughs) because we are obsessed. Like the American church is obsessed with comfort and with ease and with, um, blessing, you know, whatever that might mean for us. We just, we believe that, that, God has promised us comfort and that just couldn't be further from the truth. Um, and, and we don't know what to do with that. And so, you know, I, I, I know everybody's story is different and, and it's complex and complicated. And I'm not speaking to anyone's story, including my own in the particulars, but I, I just, I think it's, it's that unhealthy expectation that just can't be met. And on top of, you know, all the trauma involved and, yeah, I won't say too much about that, I guess, but I just think it's it's a it's very very complicated and we oversimplify it to our detriment. Yeah, I think we all maybe run the risk of just thinking too highly of ourselves. And so we think, <laughs> "Oh, I'm going to what a Man, bl- I wish I hadn't let you talk. <laughs> <laughs> what a blessing I'm going to be to <laughs> this person or even in jail ministry, what a blessing I'm going to be to the people incarcerated yeah. here." And it it shuts us, I don't know, it, it sets false expectations because then we're disappointed or frustrated yeah. or angry when they, when they aren't grateful for when how they're human. They are. Right. <laughs> right. right. And then we, is, again, here's the jail mystery. We shut ourselves off from thinking that we have anything to learn from them because yeah. we think we're, we're just here to supply all the answers and to save people. I don't know if you can see this at the bottom of my notes. Can you see that? What have, what have you what learned? Have you learned? In ministry? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to get to that in one second because yep. that's obviously <laughs> one of my questions. Yeah. Um, what I want to say too, though, is there are so many uh, couples um, 
and single adults who have wanted children who can't have them Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, who believe that adoption is going to complete two lives, Mm -hmm. at least two, maybe three, right? Our life, my life, the child's life, like that sounds like such a good thing. Yeah. And it can be a really wonderful experience Mm -hmm. if you can enter into it honestly and be honest about it when you're in it. And it's. Mm -hmm. um, I I uh, appreciate that you framed it in that way. That that's when these conversations happen, I kind of hold my breath, like, oh, where's this going to go? And I appreciate where that went. I appreciate that because I do think, you know, the, the reality is, and people have different thoughts about this, but the reality is, um, as of right now, adoption is still necessary to some extent. There are still kids who need families who deserve families, but, but I think even just reframing adoption as kids need families versus parents want or need kids is a really important and meaningful shift. And I, and I can't claim, you know, Corey said, we came into this with a lot of ignorance and that's true. And I want to always be honest about that, but, but we have, we've tried hard, you know, I've committed over the past several years to, I've, I've stacked my social media, who I'm following with adoptees, adult adoptees, people Mm -hmm. who say hard and uncomfortable things about adoption, birth Mm -hmm. parents, because I recognize that was a blind spot in my own perspective. And we just keep trying to, to make space for our kids to not have to choose, um, and the, you know, affection and love and emotions and sadness. Like we just, that that's all I know to do. That's all I know to do is to keep my arms open and to just keep making space for all of it. Right. Right. And, and, and having a, a safe, you know, I have, I have letters on my wall that I got from the hardware store, Ace Hardware, they're vinyl letters. People say, if I ever show a picture of it on Instagram, people say, where did you get that? Mm-hmm. Like, well, it costs $3 at the hardware yeah. store. And I put feel safe and feel loved in a moment of absolute, I put it there for me. I mean, eight years ago, nine years ago, thinking I just need this right here. This is my right. only job, right. my only job. When my kids go to bed at night, did they feel safe? Did they feel loved? That is all that matters. Yeah. And I put that reminder there for me. And I just don't think I'm ever going to take it down. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, I don't think I've ever stopped needing it. And that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a way for me to recenter what, you know, the complicated dynamics and emotions that happen in our home and, you know, happen in every home sometimes, but to really simplify it and to not get ahead of myself or, you know, we're, we're all we're all trying to heal in different ways. And that that's the one thing I can do yeah. is to try to, to provide a home and, you know, a, a family that's, that's safe and loving. Yeah. I, I, I think the only gift we have to offer others in relationship to fostering and adoption uh, is honesty. Yeah. And um, I'm not sure people who haven't been in one part of this or another have much to say. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the people tell us who tell us how great this is going to be are not part of the group. 
not yeah. part of our community that has yeah. to do with adoption. Right. right. Um, Shannon, have you read The Girls Who Went Away? It's it's on my bedside table right now as we it's, speak. I have not opened it yet. I just got it from the library. It's, it's so, weird so that that. it's so important for yeah. adoptees my age. It's yeah. so important. So yeah, it's it, I just renewed it this morning. So yeah, I'll let you know when I when I find the read. I'm looking I'm looking yeah. forward to it, and I know I've heard that it's yeah. important and hard. Yeah, you might as well just pay them for it and tell them you're not bringing it back, right? Because <laughs> I don't think you are. I bet you're right. Um, Corey, what have you learned in prison ministry? Ooh, and that's what we call a cliffhanger or a tease. I think both work. Either way, it means you got to join us for the next episode of the Anagram Journey podcast with Shannon and Corey Martin.